Hey everyone, I just watched The Good Exorcist, directed by Josh Stifter. I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, and I had a sit-down with him to discuss it. And here's my take on it. It's a very funny, independent horror comedy. It was made part of the El Rey Network's Rebel Without a Crew reality show, which is based off of Robert Rodriguez's book, Rebel Without a Crew, about how he filmed El Mariachi for 7,000 and started in 14 days, so he gave seven filmmakers the same opportunity, and today had a wonderful, wonderful talk with uh, Josh just about his influences and what got him to kind of create the story for The Good Exorcist. And in this episode, we talk a lot about small little Easter eggs you can find from this film connected with the past Troublemaker Studio films that Robert Rodriguez has had a hand in making. So that was really cool of him telling us Easter eggs like uh, with this location she sought uh, specific actors in the part Correlated with other Robert Rodriguez movies. I found that really cool and interesting. And Josh is a really cool guy. So on February 21st, The Good Exorcist will be available on the Elway Networks On Demand. And I would highly recommend it. It's a funny flick. It's moves fast, it's never dry pacing, so hope you all enjoy. Hey Josh, how are you? I'm good. Here, let me see if I can get video going. Can you see me? Yes, I can. Blam! Blammo! <laughs> Having a good night? Yeah, 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 yeah. Getting some shit done. Just got some uh, soundtrack songs sent in for my movie. So, for my second feature, so that's cool. Getting some score done all around. Awesome. Yeah. So, let's talk The Good Exorcist and Rebel Without a Crew. How did you, how were you able to get chosen for Rebel Without a Crew? I got on, are we actually, are we recording right now? Yeah. Yeah, we're going. Yes. Sweet. Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, I got picked based on... I was on El Rey Network for a series called The People's Network Showcase, where I made a short film called Tim the Terrible that they put on their animation edition. And while I was there, uh, Ryan Crow, who was the showrunner for that show, saw that I had a Rebel Without a Crew book with me, which I do all the time. Like, I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's sort of my little manual, my Bible. And I... He's like, wow, you really... You have that with you? Did you bring that with just because, you know, the show or whatever? And I was like, no, I just... 
always have it with me. I always bring it everywhere. And he looked at it and he's like, holy crap, you have written in this book and ripped it apart. And I'm like, yeah, this is my <laughs> fifth copy. Like, it literally was my fifth copy. I've gone through that many copies of the book. I can basically recite chunks of it at this point. So anyway, I was he, he was like, oh, well, we're talking about doing the show. Have you ever done anything live action? Because at that point, all he had seen was my animations. So I was like, oh, yeah, I've done a couple shorts, a few things on my own, some fun stuff. I can send it. So I sent uh, a short film I did called Chum that just came about because I had a camera. I had a C300 Mark II for the entire 4th of July weekend. Um, I rented it for a shoot that I was doing, a professional shoot I was doing, but if you rent on a Friday, they're not open to give back a rental, so you get to keep it through the whole weekend. So I just kept it through the whole weekend and ended up, um, you know, trying some trying some shit with it and trying to shoot some, some fun stuff, and we ended up shooting this short film called Chum. So I sent that to them, and then he sent me back a message saying, hey, apply for this show. So I applied like everyone else, and then, uh, you know, went through the whole process, and a few weeks into the, that process, while Robert was getting, like, thousands of entries, Robert said he got, he told us he got, like, 3,000 entries in the first two days. Wow. And just, they had to cut it off. There was, like, these, they're like, there's no way we're going to get through everything. So of 3,000 entries that got accepted... They, I ended up in the top, like, couple hundred or whatever, just based on my shorts and my application. And they, then they contacted me and were like, hey, do you have a script that you can do? And I was like, oh, yeah, totally. That's a total lie. I didn't have a script ready. <laughs> so you were like, yeah, about that script. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, yeah, I totally do. I just, if, if you guys can give me, like, two weeks to clean it up, because it needs some rewrites, it's kind of sloppy, I want to make sure it's in working order for you all. And they're like, yeah, that's fine, we'll need it in two weeks. So in two weeks, my buddy Daniel and I just sat down, and all we did was write. We were sending, like, scene ideas back and forth, and I was literally doing the thing where I'm like, I don't know, what monster pops up in this scene? Uh, there's a teddy bear over there. Okay, this teddy bear is going to be in this scene. Right? <laughs> Monster teddy bear. So we just wrote around things that we had. I knew, like, I grew up in a, like, relatively conservative Christian family, and I actually went to school thinking I was going to get into the seminary. I actually went into the seminary for about a day. And <laughs> I, and then I realized, oh, I don't want to be in the fucking seminary. I want to make movies. So I dropped out and started making movies. But I... I have this, like, knowledge based on growing up in the church, going to private schools my entire life. I have this these, like, concepts of things I liked in religion. Right. Especially, especially demons. Like, being attracted to horror movies and the, the, like, macabre and fucked up stuff of the Bible was always, that was always the best stuff. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard the Mitch Hedberg joke about priests and how they go into, like, seminars and stuff and then they finally have the exorcist and it's like demons versus god and they're like oh shit i didn't think this shit was real right exactly yeah <laughs> that's and that's well that was part of and that's part of what we wanted to get like into the movie but the, that funny part of it like the joke of it all so we really pushed this idea of like how can we make fun of priests and demons in a way that kind of hasn't been done not the typical, like, jokes that, you know, like, 
you know, pedophile priests or whatever the easy joke is for priests. What right. What if we go a completely different way with it? Yeah, that's what I loved about, like, the uh, promotional videos that you used in The Good Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the animations and stuff like yeah. that. Like, I, I love the idea of an exorcist who, or a priest who doesn't really care about being a priest. Because most <laughs> priests, all, what a priest wants to do, a priest doesn't go into it going like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull the demons out of people. A priest goes into it going like, I'm going to spread the word of God and God's love and help you know people eventually, as they, as they get through life, do good and hopefully make it to heaven. Like, that's what a priest generally right. is, wants to do. They want to help people. This priest doesn't give a shit about that. All he wants to do is rip <laughs> demons out of people. <laughs> and I love that line, how he's like, I only killed a few people doing exorcist. And so he's like, he's like, don't worry, I'm a professional. Yeah. And so he says, great, you're a professional, professional murderer. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing, like, that's what I really wanted to, to push in this is not making it a, it's not a statement piece, really. Right. Like, it's, if anything, it's like kind of an anti-statement piece in certain ways. But it, what it does is it's about, like, it, it definitely, like, pushes the idea of poking fun at things. I mean, I grew up on The Simpsons. Like, my favorite, the reason I got into horror movies to begin with was because of The Simpsons Halloween specials. Right, because they always did, what, that treehouse special yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the treehouse of horror stuff. And I would watch those every Halloween. I would wait for them to come out because they had blood and they were nasty. <laughs> and, and I didn't have to hide it from my parents that I was watching them. You know, like, when I had watched sneak it like i was like seven years old sneaking watching nightmare on elm street but i could be seven years old to watch the simpsons and get away with it right so and i just wanted to see the blood and guts and gore and fun stuff so um so for this that was a big that was like a big part of the movie of the good exorcist was hitting that comedy that the simpsons would put into it while also you know having fun with the like slight scares and the goofiness of what we could do with that no budget. Yeah, and I loved the, uh, just kind of like the deadpan comedic tone you had whenever furniture was thrown around in a, like, in, like, the living room, and it had the ranch boy just, like, sitting in his underwear. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the big thing is, in the end, we wanted to make a comedy that was about the character. Like, that's when we when we first started that script that we wrote in two weeks. We were like, okay, who do we have? We have Daniel. That's easy. We don't know who is going to play these other characters, but we know we can take almost anyone and make them funny if they're in their underwear or if they're awkwardly standing around. Like, you could take anyone. Like, I could take my five-year-old kid and be like, stand there and look like a doofus and make it work. Luckily, Avery is amazing. Like, the guy who plays Stanley came in and crushed it and is actually a good actor as well. But we didn't know if we were going to get a good actor. So we were just like, okay, we're going to write this character as goofy as we can. And a lot of the movie changed based on the fact that Avery could act. Like, Stanley's character right. that, like, we he's probably in it twice as much as he was in the script. Like, we would write jokes on the day on set, me and Avery would be sitting there, like looking at the script and going, like, "Okay, you've got one line. What do? We, how can we expand this? Like, how would this be funnier?" And we'd write him like ten more lines that day. So 
you know, and that's just based on him, you know, us pulling in a better cast than we even expected to, which is partly thanks to, uh, for those who've seen Rebel Without a Crew, there's an episode, episode three has Beth Sepko did a, um, like, we did this huge casting call. Right. There was, like, what, 500 people you had to go through? So many people, man. It was crazy. And I, I just would have had a meltdown. I would have just... <laughs> they barely, like, they barely showed what really happened because, like, it's so... They showed that I was walking around, like, nervously talking right. to myself and just kind of like, I this is so overwhelming. But what really happened is I walked in that room, I was like, hey, everyone, I'm making a movie, and then Beth was like, all right, everyone go to your places and talk to the people you want to talk to. And I just, like, walked in the corner and put my hands in the air. <laughs> I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't know what I'm doing. And it was pretty awesome in the end, but that's because of the fact that Beth Sepko could kind of push us in the right direction. And we had, like, two hours to cast the movie, but... When it all boiled down, what I ended up really doing is going in there and just finding people who I'm like, I felt comfortable around. Right. Because like you felt that vibe, like, instantly. Right. If I, and if, if someone walked over to me, like, Avery walked over, me, over to me and started talking to me, and he's like, I really like your idea, and I'm like, dude, you'd have to be in your underwear in a scene, you'd have to be on set quite a bit, the character is really goofy... And we'd have to kind of find it because I didn't really write it for someone like you, but I could make it work. And he was like, that sounds awesome. Fuck yeah, let's do it. And I was instantly like, well, your excitement is contagious to me. I want you on my set because that's how my set works. Like, that's what I thrive off of on any, whether it's a short film or a feature or anything. It's like the excitement that we can give to each other and how we can keep pushing each other forward through a 16-hour shoot day, which we didn't have on this movie, but in other movies, you shoot for a long time, so I wanted that excitement, and I got it from Avery and Brittany and everyone. Right, like a normal movie process, you would probably have at least 12-hour days where you just do nothing but shoot, like, whatever scenes you had to do. Right, and it would be, like, perfectly scheduled. I didn't even know what my location looked like at that point. Like, I'm <laughs> I had to pick out costumes, like people's costumes, before I even knew who was playing the character, which is impossible. You're going like, I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know their size. And they're just like, well, sorry, we're giving you like three outfits. Pick them out. So I, just, I picked this priest outfit that Danny Trejo, or no, um, not Danny Trejo, um, Cheech Marin wore in one of the Robert Rodriguez movies. I just picked it out because I'm like, well, Cheech Marin wore it. Hopefully I can find someone who can fit in it. And I ended up using it twice in the movies. It's the, it's the priest costume that... Uh, was that in one of the Macete movies he was a priest? Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. I, think, I think that this one, this priest costume was actually from the Machete uh, trailer from Grindhouse. I don't know for sure. I think it was from the trailer. But he, uh, but anyway, so when I, yeah, and I picked out this priest costume because I know I had two priests and I was like, well, one of them can wear it and the other one can just wear like a button up shirt or whatever. Cause we had Daniel's priest costume already. Right. And which is one of the things why, one of the reasons why we wrote the movie the way we did is we had a priest costume and 
I thought Daniel would look like a funny priest. So I'm like, all right, you, you make an awkward priest. It was between making him a priest or making him a clown. And I, I, I think you chose right, making him a priest. Right. And <laughs> imagine trying to put clown makeup on a guy every single day. That would be that would take me forever. I don't do makeup. So I was like, okay, we'll do the priest instead. And then I just happened to be walking through the... I'm from Minnesota, and we have the Minnesota State Fair. And I was walking through the State Fair and saw this like black cowboy hat that they had, and I'm like, man, what if he was a cowboy priest, and my sister-in-law walked over and bought the cowboy hat, and I'm like, well, now I have to make a cowboy <laughs> That was great. So we, yeah, so we, um, we wrote the script around that stuff, and then just from there, we, we built, so like I was saying about the priest costume, uh, I, I got this, this costume for one of the two priests, and they both ended up wearing it. But one of the priests, uh, um, Father Raymond, the one who kind of gets mad at Father Gill before Father Gill leaves, was like kind of giving him sass. That guy's <laughs> kind of like a heavier set older guy. And this was not really built for him. And he put it on me. He's like, this is really tight. And I'm like, well, I'll, just, I'll shoot you from an angle where maybe it doesn't look quite so tight. We'll make it look better. <laughs> so let's talk about influences Me. For this film, like, what kind of inspired you to be a filmmaker? Like, what were, like, the top films, you say, really left an impact on you? There's so many. And that's it's a question that I ask myself all the time. As, <laughs> and as I, as I find them, and I'm like, oh my god, I and didn't realize <laughs> how much this movie inspired me until I watch it again now. And I've seen my own features, and I'm working on my own, like, my second feature now, and I'm like... Oh my god, I can't believe how much Beetlejuice inspired me. Like, it's that kind of stuff where I, I see a movie, like Beetlejuice when I was a kid was my go-to movie. I had it. I right, had of course. I burned through a VHS and bought <laughs> another one, and then bought it, like the first DVD I bought was Beetlejuice, and that seems obvious that you'd think that that would hit that many times. It, it would be in my head as being a major influence, but I never really thought of it as influencing my style until I rewatched it recently and was like, oh my god, like, I am totally, like, this is all comedy in this dark setting, and it's all deadpan. Right. No one's, no one's laughing at the jokes happening as they're happening. And even the effects in the movie are, like, kind of a joke in itself, too. And that's what I wanted to do. Like, it, it literally, <laughs> Tim Burton's early work is, like, exactly what I'm doing now, making these special effects that are just, like, yeah, it's a, it's a joke. Like, you don't think that he's going to get killed by this killer teddy bear because it's so <laughs> silly and stupid, and that's the fun of it. Just like Beetlejuice is a, like a stop-motion snake handrail thing, you're not like, it's terrifying and weird and scary, much like the teddy bear is kind of terrifying in its own way, but you're never like, it's just fun to watch. And I love that about, like, Beetlejuice is how fun it is to watch. And I realized that the movies that did influence me the most are the ones that were fun to watch. Like Gremlins. I just rewatched Gremlins with my <laughs> wife. It's, I was sitting there the whole time. She's watching it for the first time. My wife had never seen Gremlins. Can you believe that? Well, I never watched Gremlins up until last Christmas, I think. Wow. I can't, because I used to watch it, like, daily. Like, it was just always on. And, me and the thing is, it has Phoebe Cates in her prime, too. Totally. Oh, she's amazing, too, in it. So, she, yeah, so watching, like, watching Gremlins, I 
I sat there like a little kid again, going like, this is, they don't, it's so fun. Like, I miss how fun this, these kind of movies are, which is why I made The Good Exorcist, was to make something fun that people could watch. And while there are scares and there's gore and there's cussing and whatever, it's still you know, fun. Yeah. Yeah, right. And even, like, the uh, female character is fun to watch. Yeah. Like, she did an amazing job. Oh, my God, Brittany slaughters. She's so good. Like, every uh, Brittany, uh, they're all... Everyone, even like John, John Barron, who plays the dad, Mr. Willows, he comes in and he's just so, he, he I wrote him as like my grandpa. Like I was just like, what will my grandpa <laughs> say at any given moment? Which is why like some of the things he says seem like they make zero sense and they make me laugh harder than anything else in the movie because it's literally something my grandpa would say. Like, only thing I'm worried about is mother getting a shit hemorrhage. Like my grandpa would say shit hemorrhage to us. He'd be like, hey, kids, go play in the backyard before you give your grandma a shit hemorrhage. So I had to write it into a mo- the movie. Um, and then things like, you know, and part of the indie spirit for me, the movies that have inspired me, like Robert's movies, um, I, I don't know like how much you know about my early stuff, but I worked for Kevin Smith, who did like Clerks and Mallrats. Oh, yeah, of course. I worked for Kevin Smith as my first job, my first job out of college. In, in, in doing animation was for Kevin Smith. Well, let and me let me show you something. Let me try to spin you around to see if you can... Can you kind of see my... Nice! Yes! Clark's right there. That's amazing. And I just talked to uh, Marilyn from Quirks a couple months ago. Awesome. About what? I'm just about working on Quirks and... That's her career, and she was so awesome to speak with. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I've heard her on podcasts before, and she's just such a fascinating person, and, and has such a different... Tell, tell such a different side of the story of Clerks, which I really like to hear. I love hearing all the sides of, like, what people went through, what they yeah. saw. That's so awesome. And um, she was talking about how they were able to shoot since Kevin worked there, was overnight. And so they would try to call friends over to see who can play this bit part in the script. And, like, if you look in the credits, Walt Flanagan, who's from uh, Comic Book Men, he has, like, he has seven bit parts in that movie because he wouldn't be the only one who could do it. That's amazing. And that's the kind of stuff I love. Like, I love... I mean, that's why, like, with... The, when they asked me to do the credits for The Good Exorcist, and I sent the credits, they were like, this is like a minute long, or not, like like not even. It was like 35 seconds long. <laughs> and I was like, that's all I have. They're like, well, you got to put someone down for, you should put someone down for sound recording. You should put someone down for whatever. I'm like, we all did it. Like, I'd have to put everyone in the cast all the time, because like at one point, you know, Brittany would be doing, who plays Maria, Brittany would be doing sound while... Uh, Allie, who is Mrs. Willows, does the slate, and then I'm directing and running camera, but I'm also actually, like, holding the audio equipment so Brittany can, like, get the thing. Look, we <laughs> just whatever we had to do. And that's the beauty of indie filmmaking, is that, like, push. Um, I don't remember where I was going with the working for Kevin Smith thing. I started to say something, and then I got lost in my head <laughs> about it. Talking about indie film. Um, oh, but the th- that's okay. That's what I was gonna say. The thing I like about 
those early filmmakers like Kevin and Robert and, and Tarantino. Tarantino, all of they what they like went into it with this spirit of like let's make something original and right. Like, as dark as Reservoir Dogs is, it's fucking fun to watch. Like, yeah, I don't want to be Mr. Pink. Right, exactly. <laughs> There's a sense of like fun and comedy to it, even in the darkness of that story. Same with you know El Mariachi, Desperado. Obviously, Clerks is hilarious, but Clerks does the same thing that I like, where it also has a very serious side to it. And Dante is very, I wouldn't say cynical, but I would say a little bit pessimistic in his tone. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, you can see, Retail has crushed him a bit. Right, and that's what I wanted when we did The Good Exorcist. I definitely wanted to hit that tone, and with everything, I want to hit that tone were, they were like bigger movies, like Jaws. Jaws is like one of my favorite movies. Jaws totally did. Like, I remember that the moment when I realized, okay, you want to be a filmmaker was I had a framed poster of, I had a framed Fight Club poster that was actually, it's the poster that hung up at the British premiere of the movie. So it was, like, hanging on the wall outside of the British premiere. And I have that. I had that hanging on my wall, and I remember looking at it being like, if I could have one person have a poster for my movie hanging on their wall, I will have succeeded. Like, that, to me, was, like, the inspirational push, where I was just like, holy shit, I have David Fincher's poster up on my wall. Like, how fucking cool is that for David Fincher? He has no idea who I am. Right. It, it's, it's, it's just so cool that someone he doesn't know has this thing up. So I, that was the moment, like, I, and, and years later, I kept thinking back to that moment of, like, some kid who's thinking about maybe being a filmmaker will see your poster up on their wall and be inspired by that poster. So that's sort of been my, that was sort of, like, one of the bigger ones was Fight Club because of that and because I fucking loved that movie. So, but I watch everything. I'm a fan of the Evil Dead 2, to whatever, like, the weirdest, like, I- I'll watch weird uh, trauma <laughs> films. That- Cannibal the Musical? Yeah, like Hannibal the Musical. I fucking love Hannibal the Musical. And I, the, that audio commentary is one of the best audio commentaries ever, where they sit down and just get shit-faced Well watching the movie and they're not even watching the movie they don't even care about what's happening instead they're just getting drunk and not doing an audio commentary it's awesome and then you'll go from watching orgasmo to the lost boys right exactly yeah exactly that it's i just like a little bit of everything if i just if i find a movie fun to watch that's inspiring to me that's all i want is something that just makes me get completely pulled into it and same goes for me, like, with my posters I have in this room, it goes from A Clockwork Orange to Grindhouse, to King Kong, to Bullet, The Hateful Eight, and The Lost Boys. Nice. Yeah, all over. And, and, and yeah, that's, and that's what, how I am when I, it drives my wife nuts sometimes, because I'll be <laughs> like, man, I don't know, I don't know what I should watch tonight, should I watch, and they're not even watching the movie, they don't even care about what's happening <laughs> And then you'll go from watching Orgasmo to The Lost Boys. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, exactly. That it's I just like a little bit of everything. If I just if I find a movie fun to watch, that's inspiring to me. That's all I want is something that just makes me get completely pulled into it. And same goes for me, like with my posters I have in this room, it goes from a clockwork orange to grindhouse to King Kong to Bullet, The Hateful Eight, and The Lost Boys. Nice. Yeah, all over. And, and, and yeah, that's, and that's what, how I am when I... It drives my wife nuts sometimes, because I'll be <laughs> like, man, I don't, know, I don't know what I should watch tonight. Should I watch Alien, or should I watch Groundhog Day? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Groundhog Day, I didn't realize Michael Shannon was an extra in Groundhog Day. He is. He's like a background, like he's the like one of the guys during the, uh, what do you call, what do they call that? It's like the big party thing, right? Yeah. And I didn't know that either until this last year I watched the movie and caught it that time. So, well, I think someone had said it. Like, he said it on a Letterman interview, I think, a while back, when uh, Batman v Superman was coming out. Right. And that's how I found out, and I was like, I need to go back and watch that. Right. And <laughs> like, then you watched it again, and you're just like, holy shit, this is an awesome movie. The movie's so good. <laughs> and, like, you go back to movies you enjoy as a kid, and, like, you only remember maybe, like, the leads that you remember from when you were a kid. And then you watch it, and you're like, wow, I didn't realize they were in this movie also. Like... People you like now, like, uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, for instance. Mike, oh, yeah, totally. Michael Roker is everywhere now. Oh, yeah, totally, and no one knew, like, because that, that happened. When Michael Roker was coming, like, becoming more famous, you know, from Guardians and from, uh, The Walking Dead and whatever, people started talking about him, like, what are you, what are you talking about? He's been around for forever. I watched him in Henry Portrait of a Serial And Mallrats. Exactly, yeah. And people were acting like he was this new up-and-coming actor. I'm like, are you guys crazy? He's been in a ton of stuff. He's in Slither. Like, he's great in everything he's done. But that's how long it takes to get that international audience. And you're like... Right. And he's like 50, and he's like, yeah, kids, this, it takes a long time to get acknowledged in this business. It's also not like everyone is going out to watch Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. But. Yeah, yeah, that's not a family movie you can take your three-year-old niece to. <laughs> I just, I watched that maybe a year ago, and man, that movie is, that's, it's, it's awesome, rough. But it is a rough, bleak movie. <laughs> oh, and, oh, and it's so realistic, too. Oh my god, it's so nastily realistic. I mean, it, it doesn't do anything outside of there's no, like, fantasy to it. It's just, like, you could see it happening. Like, you could hear, like, the news report, you've read it a million times. Like, it's just right. kind of a story. <laughs> and, like, another movie that, like, that realistically, that came out this year, well, last year, was You Were Never Really Here. And that movie... I haven't seen it yet. I want to see it. It is so realistic how they just grasp on that subject that they talk about. And, like, the way they talk, they, uh, 
get on suicidal tendencies, that is so realistic in that movie. Really? I gotta check it out. I Yeah, that's like on the top of my list, but I have been so busy filming my second feature that I have had no time to like watch almost anything this year. <laughs> it sucks, but I have watched like maybe like a handful of movies. I took, I just over Christmas break, I was working my ass off on Greywood's plot and decided one day, I was like, I'm gonna go take my kid to see a movie. Finally. We haven't gotten to anything in forever. So we went and saw Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and I thought it was so fucking incredible. The animation in that looks spectacular. Oh, it's so good. And I, you know, I, that's how I started. I went to school to be an animator and I direct animation professionally for a living. So... You know, I get sucked into the animation in a huge way, and that animation is gorgeous. Like, so gorgeous. What it... <clears throat> excuse me, it just won the Golden Globe, I think, what, this past weekend? Yep, for Best Animated Feature. Yeah, it totally deserved it. It's so good. I was kind of disappointed, because I thought Iowa Dogs was just fantastic. I... I liked it a lot. I saw that at South by Southwest and really, really enjoyed it. I Spider-Man for me was like, I guess I just expected to like dogs. Like I just knew I would because it's Wes Anderson. Right. Like my expectation was just like, this is going to be great. And it was great. Spider-Man I went into like, eh, we'll go watch it. Me and my five-year-old son, like we'll have fun. It'll be a Spider-Man movie. And I sat there the whole time just like, oh. <gasps> gorgeous look at what spider-man's doing now like it was a rare occasion where i'm kind of jaded when it comes to like superhero movies and stuff like that i just i have a hard time getting into the blockbuster like the modern blockbusters and so that i guess i just expected it to be like that it was i thought it was going to be typical i don't know spider-man movie right it it was characters were done in a different way i had so much fun and it it reminded me it felt kind of throwback to the 90s cartoons i grew up watching Hmm. so there was a feeling of like the like the x-men animated series or batman the animated series or gargoyles where it had like this fun but also took itself seriously vibe that really hit me in a nostalgic way I wish it was still playing in IMAX 3D somewhere, because that seems kind of the format to watch that. I totally agree that that would have been awesome, because I did not see it that way. (laughs) I don't know if it came out that way, to tell you the truth. It might not have, but man, I bet it would have looked amazing. I saw Guardians 2, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, on IMAX 3D, and it... Generally, I was like, I don't know, IMAX 3D, is it really that great? Am I really going to care? And I was completely sucked in. It was amazing. To me, it depends on the theater quality that you go to. Like, I didn't, I went to go see Aquaman in IMAX 3D, and I went to a different theater that I usually go to, and I was floored by Aquaman in IMAX 3D. It was just spectacular. And with, uh, yeah, with Guardians, I was the same way. And I had seen a couple other movies in IMAX 3D, not at that theater I went to, which maybe that's the difference. Maybe the theater was just so much. I, don't, I mean, it was. it's our big IMAX in Minnesota, so that's right. a big difference. Um, 
And the thing that gets me... I think it depends on the movie as well. Right. I feel like that... I feel like Aquaman was built for it. People, you know, like, that's what I've heard is it's just, like, a gorgeous movie. All of the visual effects are meant to be seen. That 3D, the underwater just comes to life. It does. And most of the times when they release something in, in, like, IMAX, it's just to get that more money than they can because to me sometimes you'll still see that kind of black bar take up like a quarter of the screen on the top and the bottom to where it's like a normal screen almost. Right, right, right. right. Which is really cool. It's fascinating for me as like as a filmmaker obviously that shit's important to me as I go into creating my next movie and thinking about, like, how am I going to make something that, how people are going to see it. But then I also think about the opposite, where most people are going to see it on their fucking iPad or on their... Right, on their cell phone, yeah. So, which is why, with The Good Exorcist, I didn't worry about it. And I think a lot of indie filmmakers get so caught up in, like, how are people, like, what is it going to look like when it plays, when people see it on the big screen or whatever. I'll tell you this. The Good Exorcist looks amazing on a big screen. Now, I've never seen it, obviously. It will look like <laughs> shit on an IMAX screen. But on, like, a theater screen, every time I've seen it, and we're playing at the Alamo Draft House in uh, Corpus Christi on, I should know these dates, January 21st or 25th or something like that. Like, sometime at the end of this month. Um, it's a Friday, whatever. Look it up, The Good Exorcist, playing. If you're in Corpus Christi and you want to come see it, it's playing at, at part of the uh, South Texas Underground Film Festival. And I'm excited to watch it again in the theater because every time I've seen it, it's looked great, it sounds great, it's really fun to see in that setting. However, most people that I've sent it, that have seen it, they've seen it because I've sent it to them. Right. They've watched it on their computer or on their phone, or on their iPad, or on their TV at the very best. And they've all enjoyed it that way too, and that was what was key to me as an indie filmmaker, was going like, I just want to make sure that people are distracted when they're watching it by the low budget and the low quality, so I had to write a story and make characters that I knew would pull people in. Right, and that's the thing too, with making a low budget, you're like, I know some people are automatically going to just kind of throw this under the bus because it has such a low budget and it's just going to not look like the kind of movies a casual moviegoer would go see. Right. And that's why I did, I purposely made the movie not for the casual movie. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's cool when they see, like when my mom and dad watched it, they both really, really loved it. And it wasn't just that, like, Oh, Joshy, you did such a good <laughs> job. It wasn't that at all. It was like they came out of it and they were both talking about the characters. Like, my dad was just like, I really like that Stanley character. He's funny. You know, like, I think it's clever you did this. Like, he actually was into it. And that, I think, comes from the fact that it it never, it's, I, I, number one, my parents probably thought it was going to be just a bloodbath of stupidity. Like, just gross. And it's not just <laughs> gross. There's like, they were all, everyone seems to be impressed, especially like the, the common moviegoer. We had people who came into one screening of the movie. Uh, we played at a theater here in town, and it, uh, people, 
people saw on the marquee the good exorcist and came in off the street just random people were like eh, i've got a couple hours to kill i'll go see a movie which is like the weirdest way to go into a seven thousand dollar movie made on reality TV. right <laughs> it's just like what are they have no idea what they're in store for and the best part is is at the end they you know they came up to me at the end of the movie and were like wow like, that was, like, nothing I've ever seen, and I loved it. I was totally in the whole time. Because it lets you know early on, this is a low-budget movie. Don't expect anything <laughs> more, and just let your mind go and have fun with it. And it was purposely written into the script that way. We wrote the script like it's going to open with a VHS sequence. So that... It, it's already there, just, like, everything thrown out in the window, get it out of the way. Yeah, and let them know, like, this is like a movie you would see on late-night cable TV, like the midnight movie on, you know, TNT. On, like, Cinemax, something like yeah, that. exactly, Cinemax in 92. Like, that's exactly <laughs> what we're going for. <laughs> so, let's talk about... So, obviously, you're all done shooting Rebel without a crew. So, how is your relationship with Robert Rodriguez? Have you two worked on anything else? Robert is, like, absolutely amazing. He's, like... How do I put this? Robert is, number one, the busiest man I've ever met. I mean, he's working on a $200 million movie right now. It's coming out in a couple weeks, so he's... May I say, that is one of my most anticipated movies of the year. It looks amazing. And I cannot wait to see it in IMAX 3D. Same. That is one that I was just going to say. Like, if you're going to go see a movie in IMAX 3D, uh, that's one to go see in IMAX 3D. <laughs> now, Alita is weird for me because I grew up with the anime. Like, there right. was a 60-minute anime that I had as a kid, and I would used to watch it all the time. So when... And it's one of the few animes that I actually watched. I kind of like missed that which i've gone back to now because i have so many people saying like dude your stuff is so inspired by anime i thought you were a huge anime fan like no (laughs) i don't really know anime that well so i've gone back and i've been watching like anime that the ones that everyone knows and talks about like cowboy bebop and stuff like that i'm going back to that now as a 33 year old man and going like wow this is awesome like how did i miss the train on this um but the uh, but with Robert, it was always just like on the show. He was the producer of the show, kind of the title character. And what you don't see on the show is he was also the the support system in a friendly way. So we had like producers on the show and camera people constantly following us around, and we were always being told like you've got to be here, you've got to go here. You've got a photo shoot on Saturday. You've got all this stuff. There's more that happens than just what you're seeing. Obviously. Right. Like, so... Because it's a half hour so, so... Right. And, 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 like, you're seeing... Even if you're seeing in that half hour, like, okay, they went home, they slept, they got up, they went to a shoot. What you don't see is, when we got up, we had to do 45 minutes of, like, today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to this set like we had to talk through everything so that they would have cutaways as they needed and stuff like that so we were always tired and whatever but robert was this champion who would just be like for me 
he knew that I needed someone that I could banter with and, like, make fun of. Because that's how I am with my friends. My friends and I are, like, kind of like if, like the clerks people. Minnesota is a lot like Jersey. Like, it's a lot <laughs> like that. So we kind of make fun of each other. Our, our lives revolve around kind of being like, hey, moron, what are you doing? Let's go do this thing. Like, we, we banter back and forth. And I didn't have anyone I could be like that with on the show. So Robert kind of became my guy to joke with about shit. He would, like, you know, he'd be like, uh, so you having fun having to take a shit with a mic on? Like, that kind of stuff. You know, like, there was, like, he knew that I needed that kind of, like, jokiness, and he was always there for that. And then since the show, Robert has just been, like, a champion for us. Like, he's been, he sent me, like, a Christmas email. Just, like, he's been there to, to remind us that he's there. And he's just a good dude like that, too. However, he's also working on this huge movie, like I said, and is busy as all hell. So, you know, I understand that Robert is doing that stuff, but he's always there as, like, an inspiration. So is Battlestar Alita, is that just based off an anime, or was it also, like, a Magna book, too? Yeah, it was a, yeah that's what it originally was. Um, and I haven't read, I haven't read it yet. But actually, that's not true. I've read the first half, but it's fucking huge. It's massive. So I have like volume one. Um, but the anime is what I grew up with. So that's what I know it from. Yeah. But I can tell you from being at Troublemaker Studio, being on that set. So the set that they have is it's on the Troublemaker Studio set. It's like so when in The Good Exorcist, when you see Father Gill in hell, like right to the left of Father Gill in Hell, there's a $7 million set for a $200 million movie. (laughs) And then there's my $7,000 movie zero budget set (laughs) of a parking lot. Like, it's amazing. We were literally in the parking lot filming Hell. Like, that's where we filmed it was at the same... I wanted to be at the same location that Bruce Willis stood in Grindhouse. So... I just wanted Daniel to have to kneel in the same place that Bruce Willis stood. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's where we built So you kind of gave a little bit of nods to kind of that stuff. Dude, anything I could do. That scene when um, when Father Gill has the, the pistol to his head before Stanley shoots him in the head, that is the exact, that's the same location that Mel Gibson walks around and Machete kills like when he walks out to the car. So he's at the same spot that Mel Gibson is, and I want it to be the one. So that's my hand holding the gun to Daniel's head in the scene (laughs) in the same way that ironically, like I just think it's hilarious because it's the same way that like Mel Gibson is the hand of Jesus when the nails drive into the hand in Passion of the Christ. My hand is the hand holding the gun to my best friend's head. <laughs> and I just thought that would be fucking hilarious to do, so I just ran with it. So we can really call this episode Easter Eggs to the Good Exorcist. <laughs> Dude, there's so many. I could point out Easter Eggs. Like, if you watch the movie, I just kept Easter Eggs everywhere. Little things like, hey, I, I could have removed the camera crew from this shot but if you see if you look in the corner you can see the reality show crew here like (laughs) i I did i did 200 and like 210 to 215 visual effects in the good exorcist and over a hundred of those were removing the reality crew from shots (laughs) 
was I was shooting so fast that I didn't take the time to be like, hey, you're in the shot back there. I just shot. I just filmed. And then I would realize, like, oh, there's a PA peeking around the corner. That actually happened a week before the movie was due for South by Southwest. I was watching it with my wife. And not even a week, four days before it was due. I was watching the movie with my wife. It was, like, going to be our last time watching it. And it was the first time she was going to watch it from beginning to end. And so I was, like, sitting there watching it, and she's like, there's something in the background right there. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, someone <laughs> just peeked their head around the corner. So I paused the movie, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Parker, the PA from the fucking show. And you see him just, like, peek his head around the corner and go, like, oh, shit, and then run off. And I'm like, god damn it. And immediately, like, pulled up my computer started like doing the digital effect to remove it and I, you know i just did like an after effects cut out of that background and then removed him from it and had to re-render the whole fucking movie and like that that was the whole process and there's a million of those there's so many shots where i'm like i used this thing from troublemaker or even like they allowed us seven props that we could take i didn't need seven props i just picked things that i thought were cool and, or if I was like, oh, that was used in this. So like the lighter that Maria uses to light the pipe when they, when she smokes pot is that's from, uh, Sin City. You, you only see it for like one frame in Sin City and you never even really see it in the good exorcist because it, she's covering it with her hand while she's right. smoking the pipe. But it's still cool to me that it's the, it's the lighter from Sin City. I could have bought a fucking cheap like 50 cent lighter from the gas station i just thought it was cool to have a lighter like that so i could tell people that story and the pipe that she's using is i said avery because i was like avery i need a pipe for the movie so he ran out like one day and went to a fucking head shop and bought the cheapest pipe he could find (laughs) and then afterwards i was just like i'll you could keep it, Avery. Like, I just gave it to him as, like, a me- as, as like a memento for the shoot. Which, you know, I could have kept that pipe. I paid for it out of my budget, whatever it was. Let's say $10. I paid for that pipe. But I was just like, dude, you keep it as a memento for the movie. So I was able to give people things out of my $7,000 budget that I didn't have to pay for. Which was amazing for me. I got to, like, use Robert's money to make a movie to essentially give gifts to my friends. <laughs> I'm sure Robert would love that I just gave away shit that he paid for, but he wouldn't care. I don't think he's going to hear this. <laughs> uh, who knows? You never know. If someone's like, you know what Josh did? He gave Avery that pipe. And then Robert listens to this, and then I get a call tomorrow, that's just, or like the day after he hears it, that's just like, I need that pipe back. You didn't pay for that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Well, I do have Alejandro on my fringe list, so if he hears this and he's like, hmm. Yeah, right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's not my fault, and that's all I can say. <laughs> no, I like I like to throw things out there like that and see how I can stir the pot. <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of get a stirring going. Yep. And set the temperature. All right, uh, do you have any other projects? Oh, uh, you want to plug before we go? I do. I am working on... So, The Good Exorcist will be playing at the South Texas...
Texas Underground Film Festival at the end of January, and then I think it's January 25th. Now that I after I said that, I was like, I think that's the right day. So if you're in the Texas area, come check it out. That'll be a good screening. And then the movie is premiering on El Rey Network February 21st, Thursday, February 21st, and everyone should try to tune into that. Find a way to get the El Rey Network. Find a way to just like if your if your mom has Direct TV. Or if someone has Comcast, like... Well, I think DirecTV has a mobile app now you can get. Like, you don't you don't even need uh, DirecTV service. You don't, I don't think. DirecTV Go, you can subscribe to. So, what? however you can get El Rey Network, please tune into the movie, because those numbers matter, and it makes a big difference. So, then after that, it will release, like, on... I can't say what streaming services, but it'll release on some services that we'll be announcing very soon. And then... Does one begin with an N and end in an F? I can't say Or an anything. X, I mean. <laughs> I, can, I can't say anything. I can say, I can say zero. So, um, I mean, we don't really even know yet. We don't... Uh, the filmmakers aren't... We're still in... It's still in negotiations. So, I can't say anything without... With complete confidence... And I don't know what my NDA says, so whatever. Right. Uh, I'm also working on my second feature, which is called Greywood's Plot, which we'll be releasing at the end of February in limited release. So we'll announce more when you'll where you'll be able to see that. But then it'll hit the film festival circuit and hopefully release um, online and wherever. However, we decide to do distribution in the summer. So that's what we're aiming for: is official distribution in the summer. Hopefully you can get that sewn in a Charlotte sometime. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, anywhere. Like, if I'm looking for... I'm looking for places to screen The Good Exorcist as well, because I still feel like it should do screenings theatrically, and I love doing Q&As. So any place I can find, if anyone's looking for uh, a film to screen for a movie night, I know a lot of theaters are doing that now, like the Alamo Draft House does that. They'll do just like a oh, yeah. movie night this. I would love to do that with The Good Exorcist. So if people are interested, let me know. I can totally hook that up. Um, and then also, uh, make sure to check out... I run a Patreon. You can subscribe for... Folks out there can just subscribe for $1 a month, and I post behind the scenes of all of my movies, short films, tips and tricks, and all sorts of other fun stuff. And I do, like, little Q&As on there and whatever. Um, but I also do... I do a podcast as well called The Flush Studios Podcast. That is basically me talking to filmmakers about filmmaking or artists about art, or a lot of the times it's just me and my wife bullshitting about raising kids and trying to be artist parents, <laughs> hippie-dippie parents in this era. And it's a lot of fun, so you can tune into that podcast. It's everywhere. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, um, SoundCloud, everywhere. So the Flush Studios podcast... Check it out if you want to hear more from me. All right, Josh. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, man. This was a lot of fun. Likewise.